This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong, and you're tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. The World Cup makes history this weekend as to be held for the very first time in the Middle East. Qatar is set to be the pulse of the planet for a month where billions will be tuning in as the 22nd world champion will be crowned. However, Qatar as the World Cup host nation came with its well-documented set of issues. Things like worker abuse, homophobia, sexism, racism and corruption has been strived since FIFA awarded them 12 years ago. These issues will all be unfortunately semi-forgotten when the first ball is kicked over the weekend. The use of major sporting events to improve a country's reputation isn't a new phenomenon. In fact, it dates back decades ago, more famously the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin under the Nazi regime. Today on the program, we ask the question, has the Qatar World Cup succeeded in sports washing? Sports writer Bob Holmes joins us on the program this week. Well, you're right. Uh, that was the most uh, famous example, infamous example, 1936. And of course, it backfired, didn't it, uh, spectacularly. I think uh, karma was working its uh, socks off then when, uh, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, Hitler was there to uh, show off uh, white Aryan superiority and uh, took his seat in the, uh, in the grandstand in the Berlin Olympics, looked forward to watching all these blue-eyed, blonde-haired uh, Germans winning the gold medals, and uh, a black American who they didn't even give full status to. They called him an auxiliary, hmm. but a, bla- uh, a black American by the name of Jesse Owens went and won four gold medals in about half an hour, uh, just over. Uh, in the 100, the, the 200, the 4 by 100, and the long jump, didn't he? Oh. And it was, it was one of the greatest um, athletic feats of all time, still is. And uh, Hitler couldn't take it and, uh, and walked away. Uh, didn't, didn't present the medal to um, Jesse Owens. So... That, but that was a, a, an exceptional example. Mm. Um, there's never been anything quite to match that, but uh, it can go wrong. Mm. And it's one of the earliest examples of sports washing, right? But over the recent years, we've seen, you know, uh, in Beijing, the Olympics, even, you know, the last edition of the World Cup in Russia, pretty contentious topics, aren't they? Uh, certainly are, yes. I mean, this... Um, there's so much attention on this World Cup now. Mm. It's almost a test case for the whole concept of sports washing. I think the general view is that it has worked. It certainly put a lot of small countries on the map. And they, um, there are some examples. I think, uh, well, Abu Dhabi with Manchester City, mm-hmm. for example, I think you would have to consider that as having worked. Um, but now they, they sort of up the ante on this with the World Cup and there's more scrutiny mm. and people are actually wondering about this. Can it backfire again? And given the amount of criticism 
it's getting now. There's, a, there's an argument for saying that. Qatar is getting far more criticism, I think, in the past couple of weeks than it's had in 12 years since the decision was made. Yeah. And they're getting uh, a bit ratty about it, too. They didn't bargain for this. So it's highlighted their weaknesses, basically. You know, the, the highlight, the focus has come on migrant workers, LBGT uh, people um, and all that. Hmm. And I think a lot of the world's population was unaware of all that um, before this, this World Cup. So it's although it's it's certainly put Qatar on the map, mm. it's highlight it's also highlighted uh, what you would say are some of their weaknesses of their society. Mm. Mm. And talking about hosting the World Cup, right? Um, although you know, like you mentioned, you know, Qatar will be the center of attention of the planet for the next month uh, during the World Cup, tourism money coming into to the to the country, but ultimately. In the end of the day, you'll lose Qatar millions, if not billions of dollars, right? In spite of the financial loss, Bob, what would you say is the impetus for countries to want to host the World Cup? Well, uh, prestige, um, financial, I suppose, if you get it right, mm. even though you do have to make an, a pretty large investment, um, it is possible to make a profit on it. Mm. Um, I mean, some countries have. I mean, it's, it's got a checkered history, this. Uh, there's spectacular examples of it, of it not working or, or, um, or losing great amounts of money. Like uh, Russia uh, spent uh, $50 billion on the Winter Olympics mm -hmm. in 2014. And that's uh, far more than anyone's ever spent on the Summer Olympics, which is a much, much bigger operation. Mm. Um, and but that was uh, Putin um, putting you know Russia on a pedestal, and uh, and he I think he made some money out of it too. And whereas Russia for the World Cup in 2018, they only spent 11 billion. That's right, 11 billion. Yep, 11 billion. And I've read where Qatar is spending 300 billion. That's right. Just to put things into perspective. Mm. Yeah, it's an insane, insane amount of money, right? I also read the fact that if you take the last three editions of the World Cup and combine them, Qatar has still spent more. Yeah, absolutely. And you you have to wonder what, what they're really getting out of it mm. because there are only 330,000 Qatari citizens. I mean, the population is nearly 3 million, mm. but migrant workers or, or expats, some of those are... You wouldn't call them migrant workers, but they do, they're doing very nicely. Thank you. But um, they're expats. They're not Qataris. Mm. So actual population of Qatar, the the native population, if you like, is is only the uh, about the size of Kuantan or or Saramban or something. Yeah, I mean, really, and and they're staging a World Cup. I mean, <laughs> uh, this. 
It, it is quite incredible yeah. that uh, they, uh, they managed to get away with it. I mean, it's going to happen now. Yeah, it is definitely going to happen. And, you know, to a point you brought up, Bob, about the migrant workers, about the expats, that uh, the foreign workers basically working for the World Cup. According to Qatar officials, there's a grand total, Bob, of three work-related deaths, contradicting many media reports that put the number in a much higher region, right, in the thousands. I mean, this whole lack of transparency and clarity in the lead-up uh, to Qatar 2020 to is if anything it only amplifies the issues in Qatar doesn't it yes exactly it's like uh, shining a light on on your uh, on your downside isn't it your your bad points um but i mean they're trying to cover up with these uh, star warsy stadiums i mean i think it's <laughs> the only way to describe them they look like <laughs> some uh, you know flying saucer that's that's landed. I mean, the architecture is incredible. They're supposed to have um, air conditioning. Yeah. They're not all enclosed. I mean, uh, how are you going to, uh, how that's going to work when, when the, um, you know, the air will, will blow in and out. Um, but uh, they seem confident. Mm. But uh, this is all show, isn't it? You know, deep down behind the scenes, it's not quite as, as rosy as that. And, uh, now the focus is on them. You see, you're seeing the other side, and you, you, you're hearing about the laws of the land and mm. all that, mm. which are not exactly conducive to inviting hundreds of thousands of football fans. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, although, Bob, um, looking at the other side of the coin, there's always two sides to, co- to the coin, right? Um, the defenders of Qatar as a host country say that you know high-profile events like these can be used as leverage to improve human rights. I mean, obviously, we see the facts. The facts are there now. But in an ideal world, Bob, is that even a possibility? Well, I think to some extent it has. I think the, the spotlight when the uh, Guardian newspaper came out with that report in 2021 saying that 6,500 people had died, I think that really made them sit up. And since then, conditions have improved. Even the, um, even the Amnesty International people and Human Rights Watch mm. have acknowledged that. Mm. But they're, they're coming from a very low base. There's a lot of room for improvement. But okay, uh, to be fair, uh, things have got a little bit better. Mm. There is a minimum wage in Qatar now, which isn't uh, the case in in surrounding countries. So I think their eyes have been opened. Uh, they probably didn't realise that there'd be so much scrutiny yeah. on uh, these um, these things. They just thought that if they built uh, fancy stadiums and the pitches were all right everything would be fine, but it's it's not. Yeah, clearly not. And, you know, like you mentioned, you know, in 2018, Russia host, um, hosted the World Cup. There were some, you know, talks there as well. And arguably, not to this level of, you know, condemnation from sporting authorities and fans. The pressure this year on Qatar seemed to be a lot more intense. Um, what will you attribute that to? Well, I think uh, it's been building for 12 years. I mean, there was the initial shock horror when... They got the the vote, mm-hmm. and the assumption was that it would be overturned, that uh, there would be uh, some legal challenge. Well, they did investigate, and uh, several members of that committee that voted for Qatar were banned for life. Yep. And those, those people were, did have dubious reputations to begin with. 
And there's no doubt that um, that that did happen. But uh, the key thing was the um, they didn't all uh, they weren't all bribed and they didn't all vote for Qatar. It was fourteen eight. But the key, uh, what swung it, was uh, Michel Platini as the boss of UEFA. He had four votes, or the UEFA had four votes. And uh, they were all going to vote together. And, the, and they were going to vote for the United States. And uh, they had this meeting in France. Then Prime Minister, or President rather, Nicolas Sarkozy, put pressure on Platini to change the vote and vote for Qatar mm. because he wanted to sell fighter jets to Qatar, Mirage jets, um, which he subsequently did. And, and Platini has said that himself, and Blatter has backed him up. Yeah. And that's, that's what swung it. Yeah. And uh, so tiny Qatar with 300 and odd thousand people defeated the United States, Australia, Japan, and South Korea. Mm. Uh, well, what can you say? <laughs> it seems to be too weird of coincidence as well, right? You know, like you mentioned, the fighter jets, but also the Qatari investment into Platini's um, French capital, Paris Saint-Germain, right? So it's just too weird to be a coincidence. The timing all lines yeah. up. Yeah, they, uh, they invested in uh, PSG. Mm. And uh, I mean, that was, they were on to a, a good wicket there because they were uh, a sort of sleeping giant in French football. In, I mean, they were the only club in the capital city and uh, they were never going to get relegated or anything. So it was a safe bet. Mm. And they pumped in billions uh, since. So uh, they've won the league almost every year. Uh, but they famously not won the Champions League. Yeah, that's the... They keep finding ways not to win it, despite having, you know, the, a star-studded side, including Lionel Messi and Neymar mm. and Mbappe now. Um, but uh, they just might do it this year, I have a feeling. <laughs> Next year, rather. You heard it here first. Well, Bob, uh, on the World Cup, again, you know, 12 years ago, FIFA, inverted commas, sold two World Cups at once, right? Russia 2018 and Qatar 2022. Real smash and grab of money, if you ask me. But in your opinion, how much of what's been happening, ultimately, is FIFA's fault? Oh, uh, most of it, I think. Um, I don't know whether Qatar really believed they could actually pull this off um, without FIFA, first of all, having members who were going to vote for them, and then uh, deciding not to really push the legal challenge to them. Uh, because I think the general consensus is that they were afraid it would throw up even more dirt. Mm. Uh, so that, that can be the only logical explanation for not pursuing this. Mm. I mean, the whole world, well, just about the whole world, wanted it changed. I mean, and the fact that it was a summer World Cup and, you know, there's an inspection tour made to all candidates and they go and check everything as opposed to anyway. I mean, even there are cases of the traffic lights being turned permanently green when the FIFA party goes through oh, so wow. that they don't get caught in traffic jams. So this has happened with the Olympic Committee. Same thing when they're viewing a potential venue. Mm. So they do all this. And, and then uh, the fact that it's supposed to be in the summer when the temperatures are in the 50s, even, even reach 60 sometimes, that, that would have outweighed anything, wouldn't it? 
mm. you would have thought. I mean, it's absolutely impossible to play. But they overlooked that. And then only later did FIFA wake up and say, oh, well, we can't play in that heat. We'll have to have it in the winter. Mm. Which, that, you know, which uh, is what we've got now, yeah. imposing on all these uh, countries northern hemisphere countries uh, seasons yeah yeah it brings about uh, his own set of problems uh, as well um, but you when you're talking about you know pressure from human rights group like you mentioned amnesty international being one of them and you know fifa right now um back then uh, when you're looking back 12 years ago it's a whole different regime right a new president uh, new exco members and all that in, in your opinion what are they doing to try to get ahead of this Well, uh, to be fair to them, they can't really undo it. I don't think uh, Gianni Infantino could could have undone this when he took over about five years ago, wasn't it, around then? Um, you know, the it was, you know, the die was cast. The, the stadiums were, you know, half built mm. and um, no, no one really had any appetite for it anymore. It, people just accepted it. Um, but they can do a lot more to stop it happening again. And also, I think that um, was a bit rich of Infantino saying, let's focus on the football now, when it was FIFA's fault uh, all along. And I thought Bruno Fernandes really summed things up uh, the other night when he was asked immediately after the um, final whistle blew on the last game of the Premier League season, mm if he was looking forward to the World Cup. And he said, no, not, we're not happy at all about it. And uh, for such a big party, for fans and everything, we just wish it was being done in a better way. Mm. And I think that, that really seemed to sum up the sentiment of um, players who, who've, I think since COVID or during COVID, suddenly become a lot more socially aware and sensitive to um, the feelings of fans in particular. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, and there's, there's really not much enthusiasm in Europe for this. Yeah. There, there probably is more in, in Malaysia. And the, significantly, the um, Asian Confederation didn't uh, complain about the, um, they more or less agreed with Infantino, we've got to get on with it now. Mm. And so did the South American association hmm. it's it's the matsalis it's the the moaning matsalis in europe and australia and america that are um that are kicking up a fuss hmm. and uh the even the arab world has kind of come together in defending qatar hmm. so you've got this polarization which is also unfortunate yeah but uh, i think once once the whistle sounds um the players will want to play i mean they they will manage to put it aside for for the duration but they should never forget what you know why they are there yeah yeah uh on to that point you know you uh, fernandez bruno fernandez being one person but should we be putting more responsibility on say uh, the neymars the ronaldos the messies of the world should they be in that sense, boycotting the World Cup as a major step, you know, for, for this to happen. What I'm asking is, will, will something like that move the needle a little bit? Well, I think if uh, two or three of those you mentioned did, um, it might, yes. 
Well, Johan Cruyff uh, boycotted the World Cup in Argentina in 1978 because of uh, human rights. For uh, they weren't too good in Argentina then. Mm. Um, and uh, but he was. I think there might have been one other Dutch player that that joined him. But that was it. No one else did. No one from any other country. Mm. And it probably cost Holland the World Cup because um, they got to the final and lost narrowly to uh, Argentina. And Cruyff, being the best player in the world at the time, I think it could have made a difference. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he, he took a, a stand against um, the generals of Argentina. Mm. But he didn't do much, you see, did he? One, one man, even the best player in the world, yeah. um, mm. didn't persuade the others to down tools. You know? yeah. Because it really is a tricky moral maze to navigate, right? For the players, for the coaches, even to, uh, to a certain extent, some of the commentators, and especially to what they say to, to the media. Um, what's your take on this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the players are being put in a very difficult position. I mean, they just want to get on with with the football. Mm. Um, but they are very much aware of this. I mean, they're wondering why on earth they, um, they have to suddenly stop playing in uh, mid-season, just when the season is sort of getting very interesting mm. and it's getting cold in uh, in Northern Europe. Um, and they suddenly have to stop and they only get about a week off and then they're transported to mm. uh, the heat of Qatar. Mm. It'll still be hot even though it's uh, winter. And uh, play. And then they'll only get a week uh, to recover before they resume their seasons. Now, this has been highlighted by the players' union. Um, normally, they get a month before the World Cup to prepare and a month after to recover. Mm. And you've seen big names getting injured like uh, uh, Son at Spurs and Mane at uh, Bayern Munich, who had injuries that normally they would automatically, with a month, they'd get over them and uh, and be playing. Mm. But because this is coming in a week's time, they may not make it, yeah. um, although they've been included in the squads. So that, that's, a, that's a big factor. Players will wonder what what this, oh, well, they know what, what it's all about. But uh, there could be some serious injuries cropping up during the tournament, and it could even affect... Uh, the quality of the football. Mm. We shall see. Mm. Yeah, we shall see in about a week's time. Uh, well, Qatar, uh, with the World Cup is going ahead, and also uh, a bit of news that I found out that is that Qatar will be playing, will be paying groups of fans to travel to the tournament. In turn, asking them for positive comments, especially on social media. Uh, in return, Qatar to me seems really desperate for good PR coming out of this. Well, that's uh, getting getting fans to do that is pretty desperate. Um, <laughs> not many, I, I hope, but uh, yes, I saw that story too. Mm. Um, I mean, every fan has his price, I suppose. I mean, they're English and Welsh fans, aren't they? Um, <laughs> deep down, you know who they're going to be supporting. Uh, but the prices are, are prohibitive. I mean, there'll only be a small fraction of the number of fans there yeah. that you normally get. Mm. Uh, that's, that's another thing. So there won't be the, the atmosphere that you normally get at a World Cup. There's no way. Yeah. Last question, Bob. Seeing the current trend of things, and although 
pressured by human rights group and the general media. Do you foresee sports washing becoming more prevalent in the future? Uh, not necessarily. I think this is a, this could be a watershed moment, um, actually, uh, given what, what we've been talking about. Uh, the amount of scrutiny suddenly. Mm. Um, I think anyone thinking of doing this in the future will, will be ultra careful now it's like the cat is out of the bag before when manchester city were taken over we we just thought they were generous foreign owners you know um we didn't really think of sports washing but uh, now now of course you know we look back and see what they did and yeah that's sports washing so they got away with it for a few years and up to now yes it's worked but i think you're getting to the point now where it it might not work so well anymore. Depends on the, on the individual case. That was Bob Holmes as this week we've been exploring sports washing in the lead up to the Qatar World Cup this weekend. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's programme. If you'd like to revisit the podcast for today's episode, you can head over to our website, www.bfm.my forward slash bar none. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl Ong, and this has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week, only here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.